Hey friends, remember me? It's been a very long time since I have done a podcast, but I had an unexpected uh, person reach out and want to share their story. So I thought, what better way to get back into it than to do a podcast with a complete stranger? And um, I think you're really going to like this episode. It's it's different. It's a story that we haven't heard before um, on the podcast, but I just, you know, as always, just think that this guest is so courageous for wanting to finally uh, speak her truth and share her story with others. So welcome to episode seven. I hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Casey and I live in San Antonio, Texas. And I listen to the podcast and I love it. And so I just wanted to reach out to you because I wanted to share my story. That's amazing. And I, um, just for the listeners, you know, it's, I haven't recorded in a while and it was just perfect timing because I've had people ask me several times, you know, when is your podcast coming back? And um, I think that this is, this is great. And I think that I can't think of a better way to, you know, kind of launch the next phase of my podcast with you as a guest. So I really appreciate you reaching out to me. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come out and tell my story. Yeah. Yeah, this is amazing. So we're just going to go ahead and hop right in and I'm going to let you, um, you know, maybe, talk a little bit about, you and I had an opportunity to chat a couple days ago, but maybe just talk a little bit about first why you chose to do this. What prompted you to want to tell your story? Um, I wanted to tell my story because, I, I mean, it's not a secret, but in a way it is a secret because only certain people close to me know my past and know my story. And so I kind of just feel like with everything going on in the world and the Me Too movement and everything that's happened in the past, I feel like it's time for me to just come out and tell my story. Um, I've always felt like I have lived two lives, my current life, um, which is a great life, and then my past life that I don't really talk a lot about or tell many people about. So um, that gave me the idea, your podcast gave me the idea, and then the courage with everything going on to come out and finally just tell everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I think that this is great. And again, just so grateful that you reached out. So I'm going to let you go ahead and just uh, start where you'd like. Okay, okay so um, I guess I'll start with now. My, I mean, I'm a, mo- a working mom. I'm a nurse. Um, I live in San Antonio. I have three kids and a bonus daughter. They're all wonderful children. And Uh, My husband and I are always busy working and taking care of them and soccer and swim and you name it, they're in everything. Um, We're a blended family, so we're always busy. We have other parents involved. We're always helping and communicating with each other. Um, And so that got me to thinking about my past life because I did not grow up in in a normal childhood or normal functioning family so for me to be doing that now to me every day is a blessing that I'm able to uh, be a mother to my children hopefully I feel like I'm a good mother hopefully they could say I'm a good mom Um, but just to be able to do everything that I'm doing in my life to me is a true blessing even to where I'm at today Um, so um, my story started back I guess I'll go back to how I got here in Texas Um, in 1993, I was picked up by my dad that I had never met 
um, and brought here to Texas because my mom was in jail for millionth time and she was a meth addict and a drug dealer in California. So my siblings wow. and I, yeah, we had a really, really rough life in California. I mean, we were homeless at times. We slept in parks at time. Um, we went without food. Um, it was just a really, really hard life. And I was the second oldest child of four. However, I was almost as if I was the oldest. So I took care of my sibling. I took care of my younger sister, my baby brother. And that was just a natural instinct. I, um, and growing up, I didn't know where it came from. But now that I've met God and gone to church, I realized that that was a God-given talent that he made me strong enough to be able to know what to do at seven years old, how to take care of a baby and how to take care of my sister who is 11 months younger than me. So um, yeah, those, to me, those are God-given talents. Um, I, I know now that that was God guiding me as a child. There were times I was stuck in some really bad situations where I didn't know what to do or how to do anything because my mother didn't teach us much of that. Um, but I always figured it out. So, um, yeah, so in 93, my mom went to jail for, um, a long time. It was going to be her last time. Apparently she had too many chances and had gone to jail so many times that they basically said, um, you're going to be here for a couple of years. And if you can't find a family member to come get your children, then they're going to go to foster home. And so my sister and I have the same father. My older brother has a different father and my baby brother has a different father. So unfortunately we were separated. We were not able to bring our brothers with us to Texas because our father um, lives here in Texas and we had never met him. He was a complete and total stranger to us. Um, wow. But my, one of my, yeah, it's crazy. I never thought I would meet him under those circumstances. I always thought I would have met him. I don't know why on a talk show because I used to watch like, when I did watch TV, I always saw some type of talk show. Yeah. <laughs> like Sally, Jesse, Raphael. And I always imagined that I'd come out and be like, I want to meet my dad. So I never thought I would meet him under the circumstances of the way I did. And um, so that day that I met him, we actually went to school, which we didn't even go to school all the time. Um, there were times we missed months of school. Um, but I that day, I remember we, my sister and I went to school and uh, we were only there a few hours when we were called to the office that we were going to go home for the day. And I thought immediately that it was weird because I knew my mom was in jail. I was like, hmm, who's taking us home? Um, and so we get to the attendant's office and it was my mom's twin sister and her baby sister. And so I already knew, okay, something's going on here. Mm -hmm. I was 11 years old in fifth grade and my sister was there waiting. And so they just said, well, we'll talk to you in the car. And so they took us out to the car and they let us know right away, your mom's in jail again, but this time she's not getting out. It could be several years and CPS wants to take you guys away. Cause throughout my childhood, CPS was a normal thing. Like CPS was always visiting, always coming to check on us. So um, she said, we called your grandparents in Texas and they're sending your dad to come get you. He's on his way and he's gonna be here any minute. And we were just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it was so stunning and shocking. And she said, you have a choice if you want to go or if you don't want to go. But we didn't really have anywhere to go. None of my mom's family were offering to take any of us in. Um, her sister that usually helped us had a husband who was dying. So she had her hands full and just didn't feel that 
she mm -hmm. couldn't take care of us. So in her mind, she called my grandparents thinking that that was the best choice for us. Um, so of course I said, yes, I was like, yes, please take me away from here. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I knew we were going to go live with a new family. I had never met my family in Texas. Even though I knew I was, I never met my dad and it was scary. I was extremely scared, but I knew that that was what we needed to do. Yeah. Did um, your mom ever talk about your dad? And so did you know that you had a dad in Texas? Yeah, she would mention it to us. Like, you have a dad, he's in Texas, you have a grandparent. She would tell us that we had a Mexican dad, which I never believed. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, how can I be? I'm so light and there's no way. Um, so she would talk about him, but I never talked to him. He never called us. He was never in our lives. He never had any interest in us, but his parents did. And I remember growing up having conversations with them and talking to them. And I remember them sending us presents you know, a couple times they sent us like those little Mexican dresses and things like yeah. that. And I thought it was so cool, but I never got to meet them. I saw a few pictures of them, um, maybe one or two pictures my mom had of my dad that I was able to see. Um, but that's it. I never even really talked to him. He was a complete and total stranger. So when they asked me in the car, I was just like, I don't know. I was scared, but I said yes. And then my sister basically said, well, I want to do whatever Casey's doing. So she's like, I'm going with my sister. So yeah. um, a few hours later, we're at my aunt's house and he pulls up and it's like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. That must have been really, um, I mean, especially at that age, really just shocking, um, shocking and nerve wracking yeah. and, you know, feeling like, okay, well, this is my dad, but he's also a stranger. So now yeah. I'm going to go get in the car with him and <laughs> go <know>. with him. <laughs> oh, it was so scary. I was terrified and I was so nervous. Um, but luckily his sister came with him and his, his sister's husband. So there was a woman there. So I was so thankful. Oh, that's um, right. so yeah, we when we went to my aunt's house and I met him and I saw that my aunt was there, I was just like, oh, thank you, God. Yeah. <laughs> because I was so nervous about being around with a man alone because part of my life, my whole childhood of in being in California, I was sexually abused by my mom's boyfriend. So mm -hmm. to trust another man and to leave with him, a stranger, even though he's my dad, it was, com I was scared, but I knew if anything, it can't be worse than what I'm living now. So I have to risk it. And I remember talking to my grandparents and they had said, your dad will take you to see your grandparents. So I thought, okay, great. You know, there's hope there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what about we your, um, your younger brother? Well, I guess both of your brothers. So you had a younger brother and an older brother, but they were from different dads. Okay. So where did they go yeah. at that point in time? So my older brother was about 14 so he stayed with my aunt whose husband was dying okay he stayed with multiple relatives he stayed with another aunt he kind of got pushed around with all of them and then my younger brother he was four and his father was my abuser so that's what he was my mom's boyfriend wow at, for mo my entire childhood so um so that was hard um but he stayed with his father for about a year and then he was taken away and put into an orphanage and then my mom's twin sister's husband passed away and she was able to get custody of him and she raised him up to be her son wow so, and I have a relationship with them my brother my older brother came to Texas to visit when he was 17 and never left oh, ended wow. up marrying a woman here and having three kids and so he's pretty much a Texan now 
And then my little brother, we still talk to him and he lives in another state. Okay. But we, we still have, we have a relationship. We all grew up separate, but as adults, now we all get to talk and communicate and see each other. That's great. So. And then, so what about your sister? Does she still live in the area? She does. She lives very close to me. Her and I have always been together ever since. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, okay. So you know, we got to talk a couple days ago. So if you wouldn't mind, um, let's, yeah. I know it's a really hard subject to talk about, but yeah. it's just part of the, the courage to share your story. Yeah. Um, yeah. talk about the, the sexual abuse and when you, um, you know, I guess you had told me that you kept it a secret for so long, whether it was because you were embarrassed or shameful or just, you know, at that age, you don't yeah. know what to yeah. do with that. So yeah. yeah, share with me a little bit about that. So yeah, um, I believe it started, I mean, when fifth and kindergarten, I remember being in kindergarten and it already happening. I have a picture of my kindergarten photo and I remember every time I see the picture of myself, I remember it was happening then because I was so unhappy. And then one of the pictures, I'm not even smiling. I look so sad, like a sad little kid. I know it's sad, but I realize now that because I have memories of being that young, it was already happening. And I know when my mom met this person, I was a toddler. My sister and I were toddlers. So, I mean, I don't know how far it goes back, but I can remember as far as kindergarten. Um, and so, yeah, I never told anybody like it happening to me my whole life in California. I never told anyone because I, well, I'm, I was scared. And when a child is being abused, if you're not told it's not normal, you don't know not to speak up. So I was never told that, oh, no one should touch you. It's not normal. Nobody should do this. I was never told that was never talked about. So to me, I thought it was just a normal part of life. I didn't like it. I was uncomfortable, but I didn't know that. And I didn't have, I don't even think the courage to speak up. I when I started to realize that it wasn't normal by that, at that point, I was already terrified. I was terrified of him. He was abusive to all of us physically as well. Um, my mom and him would fight physically all of the time. They would get into fist fights to the point where an ambulance would be called, police would be called, my mom would be bleeding. So seeing that kind of violence from him, I was terrified of him. So I never spoke up. Yeah. Um, Do you think that I your remember, mom knew about the abuse? I think she she was warned i know she was warned she was told um but due to the drugs she was on she did uh, from what she's tell, told me because we've talked about it a lot she just one she said she loved him which she regrets and two she was so involved in her drug habit that it never really dawned on her that it could have been true and she should have done something about it mm -hmm. um but I, I do remember somebody calling our house one time and telling her that we were being molested by him. And um, she called us into the bedroom and he was sitting right there next to her. And she asked us right in front of him. And she said, I just got this phone call and somebody said that so-and-so was molesting you. Is this true? And they just hung up. And of course, I mean, he's sitting right there staring right at me with this evil look. I was terrified. I did not say the truth, even though deep down I wanted to say so bad that yes, he's been abusing me. So of course I lied and I said no out of fear. Yeah. And that was the only time she ever asked me. And I've told her about that. She does not remember this happening. She doesn't have a memory of it, but my mom doesn't remember a lot because of the drugs. Right. 
Um, so when I got taken away from California, the reason I wanted to leave when they said you can go to Texas was because I wanted to get the heck out of there. I was sick of the abuse. Mm -hmm. I was afraid that it was going to happen to my little brother, my sister. I felt like I was constantly in protection mode to protect them. I was constantly trying to keep them from being alone, constantly trying to prevent them from taking baths alone. I was always trying to be around them. Um, and always asking them. I remember asking my little brother at four years old all the time, is he touching you? Does he do this to you? And just because I, I mean, I don't know what I could have done. I couldn't help myself, but in my little mind, I had to protect them. So that was my way. Going to Texas was my way out. Like, okay, I can get out. Yeah. I just think so, it's so amazing. And like you said earlier, it's, you know, your God-given talent to nurture and protect your siblings and, you know, take care of them. So even at that young age, you know, that mothering instinct was in you yeah. to talk about that, to ask your little brother, yeah. your sister, is something yeah. going on? Yes. That's yeah. At 11, I was finally able to like, you know, ask that from my siblings and know that that wasn't normal. Yeah. Yeah, so then we came to California and I mean to Texas and I met all of my family who it was true they were all Mexican. <laughs> they, nobody looked anything like my sister and I. So that was another shocker because we had to meet a whole new family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, and everybody was at the house waiting for us. I mean, my second cousins, people, I mean, it was amazing and just shocking how many family members were there waiting for our arrival. <laughs> Wow. And it was scary at awesome. the same time. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure very awesome. overwhelming because you're not used to it having was. so many yeah. people around you. And everybody was staring at us like, oh my God, you know, who are these people? And they all spoke Spanish and they didn't look anything like what I imagined. I, I don't know why I always pictured my grandma, like a little white lady with gray hair and she's nothing like that. <laughs> so, but it, and they spoke Spanish and ate different foods. So we had to learn our first year in Texas was so hard because we had to learn rules. We had to learn that we couldn't stay up all night. We couldn't be out in the streets all night. We had to eat their food, which was Mexican food. And that was completely different than what we ate because we didn't eat very good things in California. Yeah. Um, and just that we couldn't fight in California. We fought all the time. We fought with kids at school. We fought with each other. I mean, it was violence was such a normal part of our life that coming to a family who was sat down for dinner and prayed and, you know, made us sit with them and fighting wasn't a normal thing. It was just so hard. I mean, to adjust from that life to a normal life. Yeah, it was, it was tough. So um, when you came to Texas, um, did yeah. you, you live with your grandparents and did you, was your dad involved? Yeah. Unfortunately, the moment we got here, he panicked and bailed and basically left us with his parents and took off. So okay. they pretty much have been my parents since. Okay. So, I mean, my grandparents um, had right away a room ready for us. They, they had two of their own children at home, but they they lived in a very small little home mm -hmm. and managed to get me and my sister a bedroom and they had their son sleeping on the couch just so we could have a bedroom with bunk beds and they painted the room pink and mm -hmm. it was the cutest thing you know it was like the first time I actually felt safe yeah so I slept really well <laughs> when we came here um but yeah and my dad just left he couldn't he 
didn't feel that he was capable of being the parent we needed, especially after everything we had been through. Mm -hmm. And at that point, he, they didn't even know about the molestation yet. I didn't even tell them. I continued to hold my secret for about six months because I just didn't know, okay, now that I'm ready to tell, how do you just come out and blurt this out? You know, how do you just tell somebody I've been being abused all this time? And, mm -hmm. um, well, it was probably, you needed to feel safe enough and you needed to feel like you and, could trust these people. And so yeah. it was, it required that amount of time in order for you to get that courage at that age to, you know, yes, it did. Safe. Yeah. And that was the other thing I needed to learn. Can I trust them? Can I tell them, you know, what happened? And it's, and it's a, when a person's been abused, it's embarrassing. There's shame. There's a lot of things involved in it. And then also the victim might even think, well, maybe it was my fault. Was there something I did as a child that might've made him think that this was okay to do? So I was always struggling with those ideas. Like, okay, was it my fault? Are those thoughts, was it my fault? Was there something I did? Will I be blamed for this or Mm -hmm. So that's another, another reason why sometimes victims don't speak up. And so, um, I was not, I guess right away, we didn't adjust well. My sister and I were trying to leave and go walking with our friends at all hours of the night and fighting and just getting into so much trouble. And my grandparents were just like, we're trying to give you a home and a place and set rules. Cause this is how you live. The way you lived in California wasn't normal. You can't get into fights every single day like it's yeah. not normal we were getting into trouble at school um because when this happened when we left it was in march of 93 so we were still in the middle of school we had to come over here and then right away get entered into a new school the next week and meet a whole new teachers and a whole new class and i was in fifth grade it was like a big year right um so I was kind of rebelling, rebelling. I was getting into fights and getting into trouble. We had to ride a bus and I got into a fight on the bus almost every single day. And it was mainly my, me looking back on it now, I know that was me trying to say, I need help. I need to say something. I need to tell somebody something's wrong. I just didn't know how to form the words. So it came out in violence. I fought. And then one day I just couldn't take it anymore after I got into an argument with my grandma. Um, my aunt that went with my dad to pick me up in California, mm -hmm. her and I are extremely close now. Um, she came and was like, what's wrong? You know, what's going on? Please talk to me. And then I just blurted it out. I was like, oh my God, I've been molested my whole life. Yeah. And so I know it was shocking, but such a relief to finally like, oh my God, I finally said it. Yeah. And um, she just loved on me and hugged me. And so to this day, she's like another mom to me. Yeah. She's special to me. Yeah. Wow. That is, um, that's amazing. And the fact that you've been able to, you know, that going back to that trust and building that relationship with her and, you know, she's the one that you, you know, you yeah. told, um, your story to. And so, yeah. um, okay. So now talk to me a little bit about, um, cause I think this is, this is a lot as if all of this wasn't enough. Now you, know, have to face, so now you have to face your abuser. So, yeah. so, talk to, so talk to us about that. So when I told my secret right away, my family was like, okay, we have to go to the police department. You have to make a statement. And I was like, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to the court. I don't want to see him. I don't want to tell the police. I don't want to talk to anybody about my story. I just wanted to get my secret out. Like I thought I was just going to tell my secret and move on. And they were like, oh, we have to go to the police. You have to report this because he, need, he needs to be put away. And so, I mean, I was forced to go to the police department. And at 11 
old, going to the police department and having to tell a detective everything that has happened to you is like one of the toughest things I've ever had to do. But I did it. And then um, a year later, we were subpoenaed that we were going to go back to California to testify. And I was like angry, like my anger all came out all over again. I was like, no, this is not what I wanted. I don't want to go to court. I don't want to go up on the stand. I don't want to talk in front of people. I don't want to see him. I was just, the embarrassment to me was just, I couldn't believe it. Like, no, I'm so embarrassed. I don't want to tell anybody. I don't want to talk in front of people. Um, but unfortunately, we didn't have a choice because we were subpoenaed. And so we flew back to California and we were there for about two weeks for the trial. And I had, they tried to prep me and take me into the courtroom and show me this is where you're going to go and all that. But I know they tried their hardest, but it didn't help. It only gave me more anxiety. Yeah. Uh, and then I had to talk to my lawyers and then my, my abuser's lawyers were tried to come and talk to me and um, I just remember them asking questions like, are you sure it wasn't your brother? And that just upset me because I'm like, I know exactly who it was. This has been happening my entire childhood. And I know it was not my brother. I know exactly who it was. And they basically did that in court. And so on court day, I remember I was being very rebellious during those days because I felt like I was being forced to do something I didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. And even mm -hmm. to this day, I have trouble. If, I feel like someone's trying to force me to do something. A little bit of that Casey comes out and I have to like recognize it and be like, okay, this is not <laughs> yeah. the same thing. I could calm down. Yeah. Um, but I was being very rebellious and I almost didn't want to, I didn't want to be there. And I thought when I went on the stand, okay, at 12 years old on the stand, I thought, well, maybe if I just don't talk, they won't, they'll leave me alone. But no, it didn't work. <laughs> I eventually had to talk because they just hammered me and oh, come on, you have to talk, tell your story. Everything you said at the police, you know, department, we have your statement, just talk. And he was sitting right there and it was just so uncomfortable. I tried not to look at him. Um, and one of my aunts prepared me. She's like, when you go out there, they're going to ask you to point to your the person that you're pressing charges against and she told me exactly he's on your left and he's wearing a gray tie um they're going to ask you those questions so that way you don't have to look at him and i and that helped me because i did not look at him i i mean i could see him on the side but i never once looked in his direction because i was just like i never want to see him again right um and then when all of that was over i came back to texas and um he was found guilty um, I found out later that there was like half of the jurors believed me and half of them were unsure because of my, I guess my attitude, but I was just angry. Mm -hmm. Um, but they still, he still got, um, found guilty. And now to this day, he is still a registered sex offender. He's no longer in prison, but, um, prior to this, he was not a registered sex offender. And a lot of people didn't even know he was a child molester. So now he is. He's, a, yeah. he's a documented and people know. <laughs> yes, that's fantastic. So as you're sitting here, um, you know, sharing the story about, you know, you were, you were 12 years old at the time. And I know we talked about this the other day, but you have a 12 year old. I have a 12 year old. Yeah. I can't imagine right. having my 12 year old sit in a courtroom and going through what you went through. I can't either. Yeah. Yeah, my 12-year-old, he just um, graduated fifth grade and going to sixth grade. 
I held them back a year and I just think, geez, I have been through so much compared to my child, which I'm so grateful that I endured that and not my children. But I just look at him and I think, gosh, everything I've been through at the age he's at, I'm so thankful that my kids don't have to live that life. Um, sometimes it's hard for me to even believe that I lived through that life. Um, my life ever since has been so wonderful. My grandparents are still a big part of my life, my family here. Um, it's just sometimes hard to believe. So that's why sometimes I feel like it's a, a second life because it's almost hard to believe myself that I endured that life. Yeah. Um, but now I know that that was, that was all God in me. God was guiding me. God was protecting me. He got me through everything. So I'm, that's why I'm here today is because of him. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, so I have a couple questions that um, I didn't want to interrupt you when you were when you were talking, but you did mention, you know, talking to your mom and um, trying to get her to remember certain things. So do you have a relationship with your mom right now? And where is she? What is she doing? She, she moved to te uh, Texas and she was living here for a while, uh, but now she lives in, a, in Oklahoma. She's but we still talk. We have a good relationship. Um, she's been clean now for, gosh, like 16, 17 years. She's been clean of meth. Um, she says she'll never, ever, ever do a drug again. Um, not in her defense for her drug use. She did tell me that she started using meth when we were little because she was a single mom of four kids. And at that time, taking uppers was like a normal thing for energy. And she said a friend offered her a pill and said, here, take this. You'll have energy. You'll be able to clean the house all day. And it was meth. And she got immediately hooked. Wow. Um, so she, that's, what, that's what she told me is how she got addicted. And she said it just spiraled from there and was out of control. Um, and she apologizes she, to me for everything that had happened. Um, and I have forgiven her. I don't hold any grudge to her because I, I understand that she had an addiction and yeah, um, no, none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. Right. Some of us will never make that kind of mistake. Um, but I understand that things happen and I can't stay angry at her forever. So she's been yeah. there for me many times since she's been sober. So that's great. And now she has, um, she has grandchildren. So does she have a relationship with your kids and do your kids know she her? Does. Yeah, she's extremely close to my two kids. Okay. Um, when I got divorced, before I got married a second time, she actually drew, packed up her stuff from Tennessee and drove down here to come and try to help me as much as she could because she was like, this is my opportunity to help her and be a part of her life. And then we pretty much have had a relationship since then. That's great. So, and what about your siblings? Yeah. Does she have a relationship with your sister and your brothers? She does. She talks to them. I don't think that they're as close as we are. Her and I are the closest because we've really talked about everything. We've gotten in detail and had long discussions and talk and talk and talk. I think I'm the only one that's as, you know, open to talk about it. My siblings are. It's still kind of painful and difficult for them. Um, so they talk to her, but they're not as close as my mom and I are. Yeah, so um, we also discussed the other day a little bit about therapy. So um, it just got me thinking, you know, as close as you are with your mom and as much as you guys have talked, I mean, there's there's therapy in that. There's things that need to come yeah. out and need to be released. Oh, yeah. and having really those really hard conversations mm -hmm. and even, mm -hmm. you know, talking about the abuse and 
you know, having her understand what you went through when you were younger. So, you know, there's definitely therapy in that. Um, Talk to me a little bit about, you know, kind of the the therapy that you've gone through uh, throughout your life. Yeah. So, I mean, as a victim of sexual abuse, counseling is offered right away to victims. So I was very lucky and grateful that my grandparents got me in right away with therapy and took me to therapy. And then several times throughout my own life as an adult, there are times that I recognized that things from my past were coming up and affecting me. So I was like, okay, it's time for me to go. And so I've done that on my own. And then just talking to like my mom, my grandma, my grandma and I are extremely close. And I've had long discussions with my grandma about it, my aunts. um, And that's all very therapeutic. It's helped so much in my healing and recovery of everything I've been through. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And then also, um, you mentioned, you know, well, you just had an anniversary, so happy anniversary. And, um, so, and your husband, I mean, it's safe to assume that he's extremely supportive and. Yes. Yeah. Actually, when I met him, when we were just met each other, I pretty much laid it all out there. I'm like, this is me and this is what's happened. And this is what I've been through. And this is pretty much what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, but he said that was one thing he appreciated was the truth and the honesty, like, oh, wow, not a lot of, you know, people tell you up front everything, but that's kind of how I am. I'd rather just tell the truth and get it out now and let you know that I've been through this. Um, it still, I'm sure things still affect me now. Uh, it takes a lot of me to remember that, hey, I'm not that little girl in California who's fending for herself. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten past that. I can't use violence as an answer. I can't fight. I can't cuss at people when I'm angry. I've had to learn how to let that part of my life go. Although sometimes I think about it, Yeah. <laughs> but I let him know that right away. And, um, it's really helped us. So he yeah. understands a lot of where I'm coming from. And, you know, when we have arguments and stuff like, oh, okay, I need to be this way for her. Yeah, so, absolutely. Well, Just know understanding your, your triggers and your, um, you know, your emotions and just being empathetic towards, towards you. Yeah. Yeah. He teases me because I have this problem when I feel like someone's trying to boss me around or tell me what to do. I can get very feisty and that's just because I don't ever want to feel forced to do something. I don't want that still comes out in me. And so he just teases me like, nobody tells me what to do. That's what Casey's (laughs) thing because anytime I start to feel like if he's trying to boss me around I'm like hold up wait yeah (laughs) but I've worked through that too I do now know that there's times where he's not bossing me around I can't take everything so extreme because of what I've been through so I mean there's always something and challenges that I have to work through because of my past but I try to be the best person I can be yeah, absolutely. So um, you mentioned to me the other day that, um, you know, just being involved in church and, you know, finding God and things, uh, things yep. along that line. So is there anything that you are connected with right now as far as like a support group or do you, do you see yourself maybe kind of speaking to younger kids or women about, um, you know, the abuse and just kind of how to overcome some of those things? Yeah, I could see myself doing that. I'm involved in my church. I have spoken at a a church event for women of sexual abuse. I actually spoke um, to a lot of women um, about it. And I mean, I would love to continue to do more of that um, or talk to children or parents, even 
you know, what to do if your child's been abused or just to be there for another person who needs to tell their secret because I know how hard it is. But yeah, I definitely would love to be more involved and help somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, help you, others. yeah. And you have, you have that, um, you know, that God given talent to where yeah. you, you know, just that nurturing part of you. So, um, and I'm a nurse, so it makes complete sense why I love taking care of people. <laughs> I have such a, pa a compassion um, for people and I love helping others. Do you think that, um, you know, if you go back to when you decided to be a nurse, can you, you know, relate that to your upbringing and, you know, is there anything associated with your childhood that you can say, this is why I'm a nurse or this is why I chose to be a nurse? I think now, yeah, then, you know, taking care of my siblings is why I chose it. But at the time, I didn't realize that's why I was picking to be a nurse, to be a healthcare worker, to take care of others. Mm -hmm. It was just like a natural choice for me. Like, oh, I want to be a nurse. I want to take care of people. Yeah. And that's just kind of my personality. That's how I am. I mean, if I see anybody hurting right away, I'm like, what's wrong? What can I do? Are you okay? I mean, I just, I have a passion for helping people and caring for others and and I love my patients. I love my job. And they all tell me all the time, you're such a good nurse. I can tell you like what you do, but it, it is, it comes naturally for me. It's not a lot of effort for me to take care of them. It's like very natural. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. And, um, thank you for, you know, just on behalf of everyone and, you know, with oh, coronavirus going on, thank you so much for what you do. And it does take okay. a very special person to be a nurse because, I am not one of those people. And it's not because I don't like to take care of people. It's more of the yeah. other aspects of nursing that yeah, I, know. I, I don't I know. do well with. Yeah, some people can't handle blood and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I completely understand that. <laughs> yeah, so thank you very much for for everything you. that you do. You put yourself on the line. You have four kids at home. So I'm sure Thanks. exposing yourself to the yeah. coronavirus and all of that and you know, having yeah. to think about coming home to your kids, like that's that's yeah. a lot. So yeah, we definitely yeah. appreciate it. Um, well, Casey, I appreciate you just reaching out to me to begin with. And I just think, like I said at the beginning, it was just perfect timing for, you know, you to, well, first of all, thank you for listening to my podcast. Cause you know, you never know, like, is anybody really listening? So, um, so thank you for yeah. that. And I'm so glad that you glad I found out. it. Yeah, I, I think this is awesome. And I hope that this isn't the end of our conversation. Like I would, oh, you know, yeah. I would love mm -hmm. to continue, um, you know, a, a social friendship with you and yes, um, get connected. You. And if you ever want to come back and, you know, share more, if you happen to get more involved and if you want to, yeah. um, you know, share anything, I'd love to have you back on. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. It feels so good to be back, and I'm just so thankful that uh, you have found Dear Past Thank You, so thank you for listening, and an extra special thank you to Casey for sharing her story. Stay tuned for uh, new episodes coming to you next week and some really fun, exciting guests, so until next time. Hey friends, welcome back to Dear Past Thank You. My name is Sonia, and if this is your first time listening, I super appreciate you tuning in. And if you like what you hear, please don't forget to subscribe. My goal is to bring you inspiring stories that you can learn from, and I'm so grateful for you, the listeners, as well as the guests that have taken time to share their stories. 
Today, I'm especially grateful to introduce my next guest as he and his fitness revolution has made a huge impact in my life, not only from the fitness movement, but also from the community aspect. His unique approach to health and wellness introduced me to some amazing people that are now some of my best friends. My guest is an author, motivational speaker, fitness instructor, and self-development guru. I am excited for you all to meet Amen.